God-sized footprint. I brought one of my shoes. My shoes leave footprints sometimes where my wife doesn't prefer them, like on the carpet. But you leave a footprint wherever you go. And uh, I, I don't know all of your stories. I, don't, I know some of your stories, but I can probably say with some certainty that every one of you are following in somebody else's footprint right now. And there have been footprints that have marked your life, some of you very destructively, some of you have had backgrounds of addiction and abuse and ways in which you were victimized and they've left very damaging footprints. Others of you um, have, have had people leave footprints in your life that have caused you to flourish as a human being and to flourish in your relationship with the Lord. Now, shoes. I have, as some of you know, Sandy and I have one grandson, and he is just learning to walk now, but he's a speed crawler. That guy can crawl faster than you could believe. And he's fascinated with shoes. And so what he does is he'll take, like he's done this with my shoes, he'll take his shoes and he'll, he'll put one hand in that shoe and the other hand in the other shoe and just start crawling. I mean, he just loves this. He just crawls along, clopping along with our shoes. And, and I, I, I just have, have to think that there's a little guy who's going to grow up following other people's footprints as well. And I, I want him to follow godly footprints. That's why we're trying to be good grandparents and pray for that little guy like every day and, and care for our family. And we're all involved in leaving footprints and we're all involved in following in people's footprints. And it's the fifth of our five core values as a church family. You can see them all in the lobby, illustrated for you and named. And, and the fifth one kind of, kind of ties up all of the other ones. And I've especially been excited to come to King Hezekiah. With every footprint, we've been identifying one of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem uh, centuries ago. And we've been looking at various kings out of Second Chronicles, and today, King Hezekiah. And I love this verse. This verse is the whole nine yards in one verse when it comes to the influence of our lives. It's Second Chronicles chapter 31. The story of Hezekiah starts in 29. It's like three, at least three full chapters. But here's the summary of his life. Chapter 31, verse 21. In everything that he, Hezekiah, undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And then what happened was that God prospered him. And so he prospered. And that's why his footprint was more than just a man-made footprint. His footprint became a God-sized footprint because God prospered him. Now, I've actually talked about this verse with business leaders. I just think this is the key. I think if you want to wrap up one verse that is the quote-unquote formula for success, it's right here. He did two things. He sought God and he worked hard. Now, isn't that a duo right there? You know, someone said we ought to pray like we can't work and work like we can't pray. Well, that's exactly what Hezekiah did. He sought God, but his faith, his seeking of God, didn't make him passive. He worked hard. And he put both those things together. I want to tell you, if you go to your job and you seek God and you work hard, who knows? Who knows the doors might open up for you and the influence you might leave? 
And this was Hezekiah. This is how he summed up all of Hezekiah's life as a king. He sought God and he worked hard. And so God prospered. And it reminded me of what my friend of years ago, Jeff Heward, uh, said uh, in, a, in a lecture, in a talk he was giving. He, he said, God is looking for people who have these three traits. First of all, they know what they're living for. If you know what you're living for, like we'll see Hezekiah did, um, that sets you apart from the crowd right there. Very few people have really thought through what they're really living for and the purpose of their life. Secondly, you not only know what you're living for, but you live it 100%. In the midst of a world that can feel sometimes like it's like a bunch of 50%ers around us, we live 100%. And then thirdly, you change your surroundings rather than just yielding to them, just giving in to them. You don't just take on the colors of your surroundings, you affect the colors of your surroundings. Or in that old analogy, you're not a thermometer just reflecting the ambient conditions around you, you're a thermostat. Wherever you go, you're setting the temperature, not just reflecting the temperature. You're a thermostat and not a thermometer. And, and so people who leave a footprint are, are people who, who change their surroundings rather than just yielding to them because they know what they're living for and they're living at 100%. And Hezekiah did this. He sought God and he worked hard. He, he, he knew what he was living for and he worked hard at 100% at it and as a result, he left an incredible footprint, pieces of which we still have 2,700 years later in our world. And, and it's an Hezekiah's footprint was impressive. Um, first of all, he brought about spiritual renewal. His father was perverted. That's about the best thing you can say about him. And this is one of those situations like we find often in Chronicles. Sometimes you will see good kings have bad sons, but in this case we see a bad king that has a good son. So take heart, all you parents who feel like you weren't perfect. God can still, can still raise up your kids. And Hezekiah's father left a mess in Jerusalem, um, economically and spiritually. And so Hezekiah led a whole spiritual renewal. Look what it says in verse 35 of chapter 30. So the service of the Lord's temple was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people. It was a God-sized thing. What God had brought, they were rejoicing that God had brought this spiritual turnaround in, in Israel because it was done so quickly. So in Jerusalem and Judah, there was this massive spiritual that happened not over a long period of time, but God clearly stepped in to, to a king who sought God and worked hard. God stepped in and prospered him, and a spiritual renewal happened so quickly that people were amazed. I, I believe that could happen in any church. God, which just, it's God's moment, and he steps in. And this happened with Hezekiah. And then he restored the Passover. Now, the Passover is a really important feast in, 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 in Old Testament Judaism because it represented one of the most significant events in Jewish history. That's when they were delivered out of Egypt and, and they, put the, 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 they, they would take the blood of a sacrificed lamb and put it over, over, the, the, the door, over the doorposts of their home and the angel of judgment uh, which came to actually allow Egypt to set Israel free from slavery, the angel of judgment would pass over them when they saw the blood. That's why we call it Passover and it was a picture of Jesus who 
who, no coincidence, was crucified at Passover because his blood shed for us. When we take his blood to ourselves, judgment passes over us and only mercy comes our way. Thank God for that. And so this was an incredibly important celebration. It was the celebration that would picture Jesus and his work for us. And, and it had been neglected. And normally the pilgrims would come in and they'd have this huge celebration for Passover. And it had been neglected for years and years and years. Hezekiah through his seeking of God and his hard work, restored it. It was a massive effort and restored the celebration of Passover. And verse 26, at the end of that Passover of uh, chapter 30, there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. I mean, since King Solomon, they had never seen a Passover celebration like this. I mean, this guy was leaving a footprint. And then the whole issue of national security. This is where we have still some lingering evidences of his footprint. In, uh, in chapter 32, we read about the Assyrians attacking and threatening to attack. They'd been moving in. They'd been conquering every other people, group, and nation, and city. Now they were focusing on Jerusalem. They were saying, they were sending threatening letters saying, who do you think you are to think you and your God can stand up to us? Because so far, our gods have won us every victory. We, we, and they were like the, wor the world superpower in that era. And, uh, and look what Hezekiah says in, 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 in verse 7 of chapter 32. Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. This king who sought God, he just encouraged everybody who's afraid, of course, and he just said, look, I think this is what John picked out when in the New Testament, in 1 John 4, 4, he said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He, he encouraged the people with, with you know what? There's someone with us, the, the creator God, the God of heaven and earth, who's greater than their gods. And so this God-seeking king called his people to rely on the Lord. But he not only did that, he worked hard as well. He took, because the spring, the main water source, the Gion Springs, the main water source of Jerusalem were just out of kind of the southeast side of the city of Jerusalem. He encompassed that in, and he cut a tunnel that's known today as Hezekiah's Tunnel to supply water in so that the Assyrians wouldn't be able to cut off their water supply. I've actually walked through that tunnel. It's still there today. And then he broadened the, the walls around Jerusalem. And, um, and you can see excavations today, 2,700 years later, of Hezekiah's wall. I mean, he, he did things to fortify, just like we trust God to protect us, but we probably still put a seatbelt on when we get in the car. I mean, it's seeking God and working hard. It's God's part and our part altogether. I mean, Hezekiah did this in an amazing way and left this incredible footprint. And if you will read in Isaiah 36 and 37, because Isaiah was the prophet living in Jerusalem during this time, he comes along, he links arms with Hezekiah, and they end up seeing a great victory happen against, against the uh, Assyrians. And you get the backstory in chapters 36 and 37 of Isaiah. So whether it's spiritual renewal or, or, or or the, the Passover celebration, or the national security issues. I mean, this king left an incredible imprint. I mean, you could see his imprint all over, all over the nation because he sought God and he worked hard. Wow. 
And we want to leave a God-sized footprint by seeking God and working hard ourselves. Can I hear an amen in the house? We want to leave a God. And thank you, Pastor Josh, for that wonderful video where you outlined. I mean, we want to leave a generational input, imprint. I mean, Jesus was like this. At, at times, you know, one time it says he got really angry. Why did, he get, why did Jesus get really angry? Because he found out the disciples were quietly pushing the young families away from Jesus because they thought children would be a waste of his time and in the way. And that's one place in the Bible Jesus actually gets angry and says, no, let those kids come to me because they look more like the kingdom of God than you grown-ups in your inflated egos. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And so we're, we're committed. Thank you for all our nursery volunteers, preschool volunteers, elementary school volunteers, working with Pastor Jill, all our middle school pa uh, uh, volunteers, all our high school pastors uh, and volunteers. I mean, our staff, our volunteers, we are committed to raising up a generation, a generation. We're going to, in our footprint celebration, in our footprint mission celebration, in the middle of, middle of October, we're, we're going to be, one week we're going to have I'm going to have De Devin and Ruthie Lolly with us. And Devin, Ruthie's my niece, but Devin grew up here at Central. Some of you were Sunday school teachers and nursery care work volunteers. I mean, Devin is now leading a team of people to plant a church in an unreached part of the world. Um, th this is what happens when we invest in kids. And then the next Sunday, we're going to have Jennifer and John Barrett who are taking over leadership of of a marvelous ministry project rescue uh, reaching traffic women all over the world and they are products of our church they're still a part of our church as they base here out of Springfield I mean this this is it generational and I'm so grateful they're all pretty young people and we're going to be focusing on October uh, in October on the next generation that God's raising up to take the world for Christ uh, we want to leave a generational footprint. And we want to leave a global footprint. There's still two and a half billion people that will never meet a Christian in their entire life, let alone ever see or be able to attend a church. But God is raising us up to take the gospel all around the world. I have a book here. It's uh, written by a friend of mine, Mark Doreen, who preached here a couple, three years ago. Uh, I've known Mark for many years and his wife, Janie. I did their wedding when we were all a part of a university church together at University of Minnesota. And he has been called to the Buddhist world. He recently wrote a book called Change the Map. Not the physical map, Change the Spiritual Map. And he is now leading a global movement to raise up intercessors and, and, and prayer for the Buddhist world. Just like happened 30 years ago with the Muslim world, where now we're starting to see breakthroughs as people continue to pray for the Muslim world. Now he's leading a movement. Uh, change the Map. This, this is a footprint initiative. This is what God does. And part of one of the mission he's one of the missionaries you support when you give to Footprint Fund. And then some of you know Pastor Dan Betzer, who is one of the most famous communicators in, in the Assemblies of God, our church family, as well as one of the most famous Christian communicators in our world. And he pastors a megachurch in Fort Myers, at least till recently. He just retired. And he wrote a book. He said, Why some churches, why some churches are blessed. Why are some churches blessed? And uh, I, know, I know Pastor Betzer personally. He's been a wonderful encouragement to me. He especially was an encouragement to me when I was considering coming back to pastor here at Central because he was a part of Central years ago. And he's passionate about the local church. And he's got a really good introduction. He said, 
I had this guy, he drove hundreds of miles to come and visit me in Fort Myers and asked me what the secret of our church's success was. And he said, I really deflated him. He said, I had a one-word answer, missions. Or we would say in two words, global footprint. He said, the guy just sat there deflated. He said, no, no, pastor, I don't want to hear about that. I, I didn't drive hundreds of miles to hear about missions. Come on, what's the open sesame secret? of your church? How come thousands of people attend here? How come you're not in debt? How, how did you build a multi-billion dollar state-of-the-art children's center debt-free? How could you be on local television every day and national television every week and not be begging for money on the air? Like, what's the secret, Pastor? Please tell me. He said, I look, Dan said, I looked at him for a moment, smiled again, and responded, missions. Because after all, I had to tell him the truth. <laughs> and I just believe this. I believe if we make our top priority God's heart to reach every, every unreached people group in the world, he's going to throw heaven behind it. He does, and, and that's why he said why some churches are blessed. It's a one-word answer. It's not just for us. It's missions. It's giving to that. Some of you have given your whole lives to that. Others of us. I used to beg God to be a missionary and not have to preach to American Christians all the time. I'm sorry about that. I'm just being honest. God said, well, I am concerned about my global footprint, but your call is not necessarily go, but it's to equip and send. And I just want to be a part of a place that has a global footprint. And that's what we're doing. And what will that take? Well, I noticed three things about Hezekiah's life as we close. Just three things that have to do with it. Remember, he sought God and he worked hard. These have to do with the work hard part, the work hard part. First of all, I noticed... If we're going to leave a footprint like that, if we're going to have huge shoes that will leave a footprint that will last generations and reach the nations, first of all, I'm impressed that Hezekiah didn't make this all about himself. You can't think about your influence on the world around you and always be thinking about yourself. I want to tell you, a self-fixated life is one of the most depressing kind of lives I could imagine. In fact, you want to be depressed, just live a self-fixated life. That's not the only reason for depression, but it certainly will put you in depression, where everything's about you, everything revolves around you. Probably the most best-selling Christian book, uh, other than the Bible, was Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And sentence number one of that book was, it's not about you. Pastor Warren just puts it right in our face. It's not about you. This is how Hezekiah lived. Notice in, when we're first as, um, introduced to Hezekiah in, in chapter 29, verse 3, in the first month of the first year of his reign, so not even within the first 100 days of his presidency, but in the first 30 days of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. It does not say in the first 30 days of his reign, Hezekiah first of all started to build his palace. No. It had nothing to do with him. Or verse 10, a few verses later. Now, I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, Hezekiah said, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. And, and, and I love it that Hezekiah tried to answer the right questions. If, if we're trying to answer the wrong questions, there's a lot of frustration, and we don't leave the imprint that we could leave. I mean, the wrong question for Hezekiah would be, um, how, how can I use my position as a king to increase my net worth? 
How, how could I use my, my, my position over as commander-in-chief of an army to expand my territory? How could I use my power to get everything I've ever wanted? No. Th those were the wrong questions. The right question was this. Why has God taken his hand off our nation? Why has God lifted his blessing off of us? That's the question he answered. And he did it by saying, by saying, I'm going to make a covenant with the Lord because we've sinned against him and we need to come back to him and we need his hand upon us. He didn't even ask the question, how can I rebuild this nation? He asked the right question, how come God's taken his blessing off of us? And this is not, this is not an it's all about me question. You've heard me, some of you have talked in the past about the difference between success and significance. I hope you're all successful at work. I hope you all succeed in your ministry. The problem with success, however, is it can remain all about you. You succeed for your own benefit. But significant, when God takes us from success on to significance, and we're no longer preoccupied by just being successful, but we're preoccupied about the footprint that we are leaving, then we're thinking significance. And significance is not about us. It's about the people around us and the influence and the imprint we're leaving on their lives. So Hezekiah didn't make it about himself. And also, in that process, Hezekiah let it cost him something. I mean, personally, he let it cost him something to leave a footprint. And as they're restoring the temple, and then those temples been restored in chapter 31, it says now they've got to finance the ongoing work of God and the worship of God. And so in verse 3, it says the king contributed. This always moves me as a leader. The king contributed from his own possessions. He let it cost him something. For the morning and evening burnt offerings, for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed festivals as written in the law. And it's not until he's first contributed from his own possessions as a leader that then he ordered the people living in Jerusalem, next verse, to give the portion to the priests and the Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And um, you may not be a leader, but here's how you think if you're going to be a person who wears a shoe that leaves a footprint in other people's lives, you decide up front, before it's other people making the sacrifice, I'm going to make the sacrifice. And in fact, the result of that was when Hezekiah, verse 8, when Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. I always smile when I read that verse because when I think heaps, I think of garbage. Heaps of garbage. No. These weren't heaps of garbage. These were heaps of offerings that the people had given. And at the bottom of those heaps were the first offerings that Hezekiah gave himself. And it's all of this that, that we start, as, as Oswald Sanders said in his classic book, Spiritual Leadership, I used to have my campus ministry, my university ministry interns when I was at the University of Minnesota uh, read that book. And I read it for the first time in my mid-20s. And there's one sentence that was worth the whole book to me, although it's kind of a Christian classic. And in it, Sanders says, the true spiritual leader seeks to put more into life than he or she 
ever intends to take out of life. I've had two times in my life where I've read something and I thought, if I would dare to live this way for the rest of my life, I mean, who knows what God could do? And so I remember making up my mind in my mid-20s, I'm going to live that way. I'm not going to do things just because I'll get as much or more back. I mean, when I buy something for $10, I want it to be worth $10. And if it's worth $12, I'll be very happy because I got a deal. But I don't want to put across $10 if it's only worth $8. But Sanders said, if you're going to make an imprint for God, doesn't matter if you have a leadership title or not, if you're going to make an imprint for God, you decide up front that you're going to put more in than you ever expect to get back. And some of you are living that way right now. Some of you, you're volunteering here, and we'll never be able to write you enough thank you notes in return. I remember one time I was complaining because I didn't think I got enough thank you notes. I'm ashamed of my wicked heart there, but, you know, because I didn't, sometimes this would slip out of kilter for me. I didn't think I was getting enough thank you notes. And the Lord would say to me, hmm, I didn't think you were doing this for the appreciation. I thought you were doing this for me. And you know what? There comes a point where we don't bargain and negotiate with God. If you're going to have an influence, you decide first up, up front. I don't know if people will respond. I don't know if I'll get a thank you note for this. But I'm going to decide up front to put more into life than I hope to take out of it and then leave myself in the care of the Lord who like, who like Hezekiah, it says, and so, and so God prospered him. And so Hezekiah didn't make it about himself. I think that's essential if we're going to have a footprint. And if you're going to have an influence, you're going to have to decide up front it's going to cost you something. And then... You're going to have to marry faith with action. You've got to actually not just have faith, but do something. Not just pray, but do something. And this, and this is where it came down to. Hezekiah married faith with action. So here's our starting verse. In everything he undertook, in the service of God's temple, and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God, and he, say those words out loud, Worked wholeheartedly. He sought God and he worked hard. And he did something. He just didn't worship God. He did something in Jesus' name. And that's really what our core values have been. So as we prepare, I wanted to end our core values series by, as a church family, taking communion together. Because God didn't make, I mean, Jesus said, I didn't come for me. I came to give my life away. Cost him a lot at the cross. But in his name, we want to be that kind of church. And here's where we've been. We've been walking through our five core values. It started with King Josiah and having that hungry heart for him. How Josiah at 16 years old began to seek the Lord. Like I believe a prophetic Josiah class generation is being raised up. And then, and then we looked at those attentive eyes we saw King Asa, how God says to him, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose hearts he can strongly encourage and strengthen. And, and, and as a result, we have a ten of eyes for one another. And, and then we looked at linked arms. We looked at Joseph, King Joash's mentor. And as long as that mentor was in his life, he stayed right with God. And, and, and he walked away from God after his mentor died. But 
But how important just to link arms with each other. We, we need each other to walk together. And a hungry heart for God will give us Jesus' eyes for the people around us. And Jesus' eyes will, will cause us to want to link arms with one another in relationship and discipleship. And, and then it'll open our hands. It'll pry these fingers open until we say, here. And it's not about us anymore. And then all of this, and we looked at that with King Joash's box. And then, and then finally, it all culminates in... In influence. I mean, all, you can't do those first four without having an influence. And, and remember, when, when we ended that, that linked arms message, I said, never, never underestimate the potential of your influence when you come along, people, in Jesus' name. And we do all of this in honor of Jesus and his mission. Jesus and his mission to leave an imprint. To leave a God-sized footprint. This is what we get to do. We get to not just be here for us. We get to leave a God-sized imprint on our kids and our grandkids, on our friends, on our working associates, and on our church, and on the nations of the world. We get to leave an imprint for Jesus' glory and the sake of his mission. Hallelujah. Because it was Jesus who didn't say, you will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will. Hezekiah saw God and worked hard. And so God prospered him. And I just believe God is going to help us to see his church built and his church grow.